Thank you. Uh, our time allocation is limited, of course, and uh, I would say in general that speeches in this fast-moving world have shortened anyway. Uh, to quote George Will, he says, even sound bites are at risk today. Did you realize that sound bites five years ago lasted 77 seconds, and now they're down to seven seconds? <clears throat> Just think about Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. It was three and a half minutes. In today's world, Abe would have said, read my lips, no more slaves. <laughs> and that would have been it. <clears throat> so quickly, some sound bites. Uh, my story in shorthand, uh, born in Tacoma, Washington 67 years ago, left at the age of 14 for high school in New Hampshire, college at Stanford with an economics major, <coughs> Harvard Business School out in 1958, chairman of Frank Russell Company since, and that's the soundbite. <coughs> how many of you, uh, talking about the doctor's comment a minute ago, how many of you had had mentors in your life so far? How many hands? almost everybody. Let me give you a short one uh, on my mentorship. About 19, when I was 14 years, years old, Bob Bates was my mentor at the school in New Hampshire. And I'll give you the historical dates that happened after that. About 30 years later, in 1985, my life partner, <coughs> Jane Russell, I call her the original Jane Russell, uh, we'll have our 45th wedding anniversary, July 31st, and I took Bob Bates and his wife to his favorite country, and we trekked in the Himalayas for two months. We had such an, a fantastic experience for two months with no cell phones uh, and, and whatnot that we gave to our employees when we got back <clears throat> after 10 years, two months of sabbatical with no strings attached. In 1990, we published his autobiography. In 1992, he was nominated the honorary president of the American Alpine Club for the rest of his life. You know, K2 and 38 and 53 and naming 10 mountains. <clears throat> Twelve months from today, Jane and I will join Bob in New Hampshire to announce a chair in his name at my 50th high school reunion. That's a short story of a mentor that's been so important in my life. <clears throat> now back to business. <clears throat> As was pointed out, uh, I joined my grandfather in Tacoma in 1958. He did have a part-time secretary. He died two years later, and I persuaded Rachel to come full-time so I could keep the headcount up to two. Today we have 1,500 employees, and we call them associates. <clears throat> We're in the financial service business. We select managers for large pools of capital around the world, somewhat over a trillion dollars of assets. Our growth rate has been 24% compound annually since 1974. <clears throat> We received the award in the state of Washington as the best large company to work for three of the past five years. Last year, we won the award for the best large family business in America. And in January of this year, we were number 15 in Fortune's 100 best places to work in the nation. So what kind of a character does that make me? In a recent college comment address <coughs> where Jane and I shared the podium to the graduating student, she called me a visionary and a retarded mule. <coughs> Quote, when he gets an idea with passion, he sticks with it for years. He's a perpetual optimist with a, with a stuck accelerator. And now you know my story. So let me look back on the way we look at success. <clears throat> success the way Jane and I look at it is the quality of the voyage. Success in a corporate setting is often measured by the price of the stock or the earnings per share. We've never measured corporate success that way. We measure it by 
<coughs> the way in which our people behave. We believe that if we all shared some core values and walked the talk, <coughs> that the bottom line would eventually take care of itself. That's called corporate culture. And the awards I've mentioned, which make us very proud, has to do with the corporate culture. Our culture, in shorthand, is very simple. There's two populations we deal with, our own people and our clients. <clears throat> and most corporations say the most important thing to them are their clients. We say the most important thing are our associates. If we take care of them, they will take care of our clients. And then we pull it, put an umbrella over them, not because we live near Seattle, Washington, but we call the umbrella non-negotiable integrity. <clears throat> and that builds mutual trust and mutual respect. And the corporate culture builds around those fundamentals. The success factors which reflect our behavior are numerous, and I'll touch on just five short ones. These are the highlights we suggest you consider as you enter the world of higher education facing really significant global competition. They start with a core value I've already mentioned, non-negotiable integrity. Outsiders understand that they have to decide whether you are a firm of integrity or not, but we know what it is inside, and when somebody stumbles, they're out, there's no second chance. Second, we do the right thing. <clears throat> I remember three of my key people came to see me not long ago, and they had a real problem to solve. <clears throat> the first solution wouldn't cost anything. The second solution would cost quite a bit. The third solution would be very costly. <clears throat> And I asked them to explain it to me. I didn't listen to them because I was planning on going to Russia and I had a few things to think about. When they got finished talking and I could tell they were finished, I said, thanks very much. What would you like on the front page of the Wall Street Journal tomorrow morning? There was silence. <clears throat> they went away. They picked the third option. They did the right thing. I don't know what the problem was. I'll never know. But I suspect they taught other people not to make that same mistake again. Third, think out of the box. Take risks. Don't listen to those who say it's not done that way. Maybe it's not, but maybe you will. Columbus sailed out of the box proving that the world was actually round. Don't listen to those who say you're taking too big of a risk. Michelangelo, if he wouldn't take risks on height, would have painted the Schistine Chapel floor, and the paintings would all be gone. I can't even remember how many experts in the financial service industry told me we'd never make it 3,000 miles away from Wall Street. Fourth, hire smarter people. I have a secret to success. That's my level of intellectual competence. If I hire people down here, that's where the corporation is going to go. If I hire people up here, that's where the corporation is going to go. We have 1,499 people, including Jane, and they're all smarter than I am. We've done quite well. Fifth, finally, let's accept the fact that it's amazing what can be done if you don't worry at the outset who gets the credit that hard work is part of the game. Just think what your grades would have been if you didn't work at all. That luck will always play a part in your life, so give it credit when it is due. And despite the problems in the world, and have, <clears throat> you've got to have fun in your life, as was pointed out just a few minutes ago. Finally, since we're all about to have the 20th century <clears throat> leave us, a few serious sound bites. If the 21st century we're about to enter is to be a safer place for human beings than has been the 20th century, it's my firm conviction that the gap between the haves and the have-nots has to be narrowed. There are 224 nations in the world, the bulk of them defined as static or developing, and they represent the vast majority of the poor in the world today. The narrowing of that gap can only happen if these nations are willing to accept some form of democracy and some form of market-driven economics. 
There certainly is a major trend in that direction, although there's some backups from time to time. All of us can lend a hand from taking the time to vote instead of joining the appalling 70% of Americans who don't bother, to taking initiatives like the proposal I set forth to a large group in April in New York to establish a private sector Marshall Plan to help Russia out of its black hole. Go wherever your intuition leads you. The demographic statistics are fascinating in the world today and challenging. World population is expected to grow from 6 billion to 9.4 billion by the year 2050. And down, if you were to narrow today's world population just to 100 people, <coughs> this is what it would look like. There would be 57 Asians, 21 Europeans, 14 from the Western Hemisphere, and 8 Africans. 51 would be female, 49 would be male, 70 would be non-white, 30 white, 70 would be non-Christian, 30 Christian, 50% of the world's wealth would be in the hands of only six people and six would be citizens of the United States, 80 would live in substandard housing, 70 would be unable to read, 50 would suffer from malnutrition and there would be one college graduate. That sets the stage for the comp competitive 21st century you are about to enter. You know, no matter what year it is, <clears throat> I always hear that now is an exciting time to be on the planet. That's because from that comment forward is the unknown, <clears throat> and we're all excited about the unknown. I'm a perpetual optimist. If you're not there, join me. It's great fun. God created us. Life is a gift. Let us look at the future as full of opportunities for yourself, and when you have time, Think about helping to narrow that gap between the haves and the have-nots. Here are a few suggestions. First, get to know yourself and what you want to achieve. Know yourself well enough so that when change is in the wind, you can arrange to have the wind at your back. Second, make all your decisions backed by a set of core values so everyone knows what is behind every decision you make. Third, listen. In this fast-moving world, communication is a vital part of positive survival. And listening to the other person is an asset few have must mastered, and I'm still learning. Fourth, turn your failures into successes by learning from each one. As our two sons approached your age, each asked me at a different time how they could match what they perceived as success. I told them the rest of the story, that in my first 11 years, I started three separate subsidiary companies, and they all went bankrupt. Finally, trust your intuition. It's usually a better platform for your decisions than what you hear and read. <clears throat> you young adults are the 21st century. Our generation and the generation before us did not do a very good job making the 20th century a safe place to live. My vision for the future is to help see that the gap between the haves and the have-nots is significantly narrowed. Whatever you do with your future, you must accept responsibility and accountability. The role you and your whole generation will play will be a significant determining factor on how the 21st century will be viewed someday. I pray you get a higher grade than we did. So let's end this set of sound bites on a high note. At your age, <clears throat> I expect you are all computer literate. I'm a typical businessman in your grandfather's age bracket trying to learn IT before it runs over me. I guess I listened to Ken Olson. He was CEO of Digital Equipment in 1977 when he said, quote, there's no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. 
unquote. This story is about an IT man and a businessman, and it's a balloon story. <clears throat> there was a man floating in a hot air balloon, and he was lost, and he saw a man on the ground, and he lowered the balloon, <clears throat> and he yelled, <clears throat> excuse me, could you tell me where I am? And the man on the ground yelled back, you're in a hot air balloon 30 feet off the ground above this field. And the balloonist said, you must be an IT. And the man on the ground said, yes, but how did you know? <clears throat> the balloonist said, because what you tell me is technically correct, but it's of no use to anyone. <laughs> the man on the ground said back, you must be a businessman. And the balloonist said, yes, I am, but how did you know? Well, says the man, you don't know where you are or where you're going, <clears throat> but you expect me to be able to help. You're in the same position you were before we met, but now it's my fault. <laughs> Good luck to each and every one of you. Have a great voyage.